0: Welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a series of podcasts to help you build your resilience for a better life, both at home and at work. In fact, we're going to help you get your bounce back. There are lots of different subjects, people, and tools and techniques across this series, so please feel free to subscribe. Information can be found at personalresilience.com, and you can access other goodies and online courses and coaching, as well as today's show notes. In the meantime, please enjoy today's podcast. So today I'm particularly excited to be talking to Captain Rachel Dunn. And Rachel's a very interesting person because um, she is the first ever female Admiralty pilot. I'm really interested in this because I spend quite a bit of time at sea on cruise ships and I've seen pilots hopping on and off ships and such like, so the idea of anybody doing that job is amazing. So um, I'm going to re- really enjoy our conversation today. And uh, Rachel's also a recipient of the Victoria Dunn Award, which is something that's extremely prestigious and we're going to talk a little bit about that and dig into that and what that means and um, hopefully we'll find this an inspirational conversation and um, something to aspire to for a range of people. So good morning, Rachel. Good morning. How are you? Today is a sunny day in Southampton. How is it in your neck of the woods? It's
1: sunny in Gosport, so not that far away. Sun shining, not much wind, but still a bit
0: chilly. Very good. So um, I said you were the first female Admiralty pilot. Maybe you could just start us off by telling us what that means. I'm assuming it's not an airline pilot.
1: It's definitely not an airline pilot. Ship's pilots were long before airline pilots but airline pilots have hitched on the name. Right. So I my job is basically we we have um all ports need assistance coming in, pilots have got specialist knowledge of the local port with regard to the movements, the tidal streams, how the wind affects you in particular areas, the use of your tug suites to help the ships come Mm -hmm. alongside so pilots go on ships to assist the bridge team to make sure the ship is parked safely. And I do that for the Admiralty, which mainly includes grey ships, but we do do some commercial stuff if they're coming into an M.O.D. berth. So so you, you mentioned a grey ship. Is that Navy?
0: What do you mean by that?
1: Uh, yes, I mean Navy, so Her Majesty's fleet. Uh, we also do um, foreign ships as well, so any uh, for a naval vessel that comes into Portsmouth to, for a state visit or just to come into Portsmouth for training, we also assist them as well coming into the Perth. So
0: so having been in a cruise ship, and I know that cruise ship not a great ship and I understand that, but regularly you'll see um, a pilot hopping off the ship onto a tiny little pilot ship and then zooming away. And you also see them um, being picked up on a regular basis, um, some miles out to sea and then coming, coming in to, to park or berth us. So is it exactly the same process that you go through?
1: Yeah, it's exactly the same. We go out in a nice little boat, nice, secure and dry. Sometimes the weather's not so good and we can hit some rough seas. And then you make leap from this nice pilot boat and clamber up a ladder, which can be no more than nine metres long. So, it right. can be quite a tricky climb in inclement weather. Uh, then, clamber on board, and then you have to get up to the bridge, which sometimes, when there's no lift on board, can be quite a few flights of stairs. And um, you then got to work out where you are. You know where you are, but you've then really got to assess your surroundings, both on the bridge team and as to where you are, and then uh, assist the bridge team to bring the
0: ship in. So, So, without being trivial about this, I mean, you must have to be pretty brave to jump from those tiny the pilot ships onto, a, onto a, a ladder on the side of a ship.
1: The ship makes as much a lee as possible, so it's not waving around in the breeze. You're on the leeward side, so there's no, not as much weather, but then you've got the sea as well uh, making your pilot boat go up and down, and you have to take the, you take the leap. As I say, it's not really a leap, but you take the step at the point where the pilot boat's the highest the ship's at the lowest, so you've got the least climb to do. Right, but it is a a leap, yes. And I so hope
0: it's secure. And I'm guessing there's, you know, you've got to get over. Your, I mean, I man, imagine the first times you were doing that, that was pretty scary process.
1: Um, I've all, I've always been at sea, so I've used pilot ladders before. Right. Um, so it's not a total novelty, but it is. You have to rely on the ship staff and you trust your launch crew implicitly because they've done it and they'll they'll guide you sort of ready yes ready and we then both work together to get on safely
0: right so that teamwork's really important to the performance of when it matters for you just as you step from one place to another
1: Yes, very important as i say especially getting off you put faith in the guy on the pilot boat who counts you down the steps and say so in rough weather we'll grab you at the right stage to make sure you don't fall and get you on the deck safely. Right.
0: And so, um, in terms of, um, you talked about um, getting the grey ships through the channels and such like, you must have very detailed knowledge of the, the structure of the ports and as you say the winds and tides and such like, so how, how, how does that work, how do you, how do you get that knowledge?
1: The training, I've I've not come straight from doing um, a totally unrelated job. I went to sea when I was at sea at uh, 18, so I've been at sea all my life. So you have an understanding of the the weather and the seas anyway. You then come to the port and it's just purely going with other pilots and studying and learning it to get to where I was. Um, It takes a year as a train the Admiralty pilot before you let loose on your own. And it's purely under studying other people um, and trying it out yourself to see how you get on, or working it out.
0: And my understanding is that you're, kings, you're king and queen of the ship, that as
1: they come in, and um, you, do you take over from the captain as when the ship approaches Portsmouth? No, the captain of the ship always has the con of the ship, so he's always in charge. Right. And we offer advice, uh, telling them what to expect, If they choose to avoid our advice, um, it doesn't look too good. So although they've got the con, they do listen to our advice and uh, listen to what we say and work on what we say. So that, you must have to
0: build some sort of instant rapport with people who are coming in, I'm guessing, because they've got to trust you immediately, I guess,
1: is that right? That's correct. You've got the bridge team. You, You work out who the important people are, which for me is the captain and the navigator. Um, invariably Navy ships are the same crew that come in on a regular basis, so you've got to know your ship's crew, they've got to know you as well. So the relationship is perhaps easier than in a commercial port where you're getting lots of different ships with different captains, which you've got to build up the bridge team rather quicker because they they haven't met you before, whereas say with the Navy ships you know them because you invariably have met one or more than before.
0: And and as and as I said earlier, you're the first female advocacy pilot. So, h- how is that? I mean, you, you've obviously gone into a very male-dominated world. How, how, how did that?
1: How does that work for you? Is there an advantage for you in a way? Um, no, I mean, because I've always been a female in a very male-dominated world. I'm used to being the female. People ask me, "Well, isn't it weird?" I don't know anything different because that's what I'm used to so going on a ship now as I say they know me so it's got it easier when I first started it was a case of they've never met me before and to trust me and my advice um to look after their their responsibility because the Navy captains it's the ship is their responsibility for up to two years yeah I have have this unknown quantity turn up as in me, who they've never met, they don't know my background, to suddenly listen to my advice and say, we're going to do this, that and the other, it can be quite daunting for them. But to me, it's I, it's, it's no different. It's not strange. It's not unusual. And I know I can do the job. So it's, um, and if they don't like it, it's not my problem. It's theirs. And they have to listen to me.
0: Ah, some extremely interesting ways of looking at the world there, which are very very um, good for your own mental health and resilience. So that's interesting. Because actually, you're right, you're accepting yourself as who you are, and if it's a problem, it's theirs. And that's really important, isn't it? And you can, it's about not imagining a problem that might not exist, I guess.
1: It is, and there isn't a problem as far as I'm concerned. I'm there, I can do the job, that's what I'm there to do. And invariably, once you've done it, they realise they can do the job, and they are all happy to accept me later on when we when they return or sail again. But as I say, it's, I don't I don't okay. have a problem with it because that's where I am. That's who I am. Excellent. So you said earlier
0: that um, that you went to sea at the age of eighteen. So so tell me tell me about that. Why did you choose
1: that sort of career? And, and what what was the first job? What, what did you start with? I didn't choose to go to sea. I don't think, I think my father sent me to sea, which I don't know what that's trying to tell me. <laughs> but when I was probably 17, he applied to various companies for a purser's job. But they came back and said, you have to be 21 to be a purser on the ship. Right. And then my mother, who was um, at a school, found out that course for a radio deck and engineering officers, which I went on for a week at Warsash Maritime College. Found the deck side of it very interesting, so applied to various companies for a cadetship, uh, which is an apprenticeship scheme. I got accepted by Shell Tankers and went away to sea with them, which would include uh, three years of apprenticeship, which was time at college and time at sea, and ended up getting my third mate's ticket with them. I then studied for, it took nine years from qualifying as a third mate to getting my master's ticket, Wow. which at the time was the minimum time you could do it in, yeah. um, however once you got your master's ticket it doesn't mean you automatically become a captain because it's not Dead Man's Shoes but obviously the vacancies were to come available, yeah. so I then qualified, um, remained another year with Shell, got married and therefore ended up going to work on ferries for a number of years
0: and what were, you do, what were you doing on the ferries? Was this, was this always as a pilot or...? Um,
1: I was the mate to begin with and then became captain on um, Small island White Ferries, which worked well because it meant my husband and I brought up three children as well.
0: Right. Okay. So that's fascinating. So what what happened after that, after the ferries?
1: Well, so I juggled ferry, uh, children in ferries for a rather long time and then I, the vacancy came up with an admiralty pilot. And 70 years ago, I applied and uh, got given the job opportunity. And uh, it's been there ever since and loved it. And so
0: so over your career, how, how many women have you bumped into doing this sort of work?
1: It has increased as time's gone on. When I first started a Shell, there was only 54 cadets taking on worldwide uh, – sorry – British, Britain-wide right. um, deck in engineering and that was all companies so there was very minimal number of women that went to see them. The numbers have increased but it, when I was shelled I only ever sailed with one other female right. um, but then I went on the ferries. I was the first female they employed there as well and further women followed in my footsteps and then, then I went to the Admiralty and again the first woman, woman they'd employed there and theoretically, there'll be women coming through after me. But I've always been the first woman to go where I've been.
0: Wow! So you've you sort of trailblazed for the for the rest to follow, which is excellent, I guess. Um, so what's it like being the first of the first woman in in place? Is it, is it something you think about, or how do you approach it when you're when you're told you're the first female to do X? What what's what's your thinking?
1: Proud that I'm. Being the first female, but it doesn't—it's what I want to do, and the fact that I'm female doesn't really come into it. I feel I'm the best person for the job, therefore that's why I've got the job. That I haven't got the job because I'm a female.
0: Right, and that's the key, isn't it? Yes.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, as I say, it's, it's me they've employed, not my my sex as such. Yes,
0: exactly. Um, and so do, you, so do you feel any sense of, um, um, how do I say this, or sort of like a responsibility for, the, um, for the, the way you conduct yourself? Because obviously you're the trailblazer and everybody else is, I guess you're the benchmark against, against which the next females are judged. Uh,
1: yeah, I do. I've got, I've got high standards anyway, as I say, so they, they've got a long way to go to live up to my standards. But I found, having been at sea in a male environment... When you first start the job you've got to try you've got to work twice as hard to get accepted as the same the male. So it was harder to begin with, but as your name gets recognised, they go, Oh Rachel's joining as a third mate, the second mate, whatever. They go, She's she's good at her job, that's fine, rather than going, Oh my goodness, we've got a female joining and I'm afraid there was a very there is a bigoted mindset at, at one stage that a woman joining the ship was um, wasn't just uh, there for the work. They got disillusioned very quickly on that one. Right, I bet,
0: yes. And I guess this um, it's interesting because uh, there are lots of people who find themselves in that first position, whether gender orientation, whatever it might be. And it's the same thing applies, isn't it? You've got to have, you've got to be, you've got to, you do, I guess, have to work harder. But once you gain the respect, the fact that you're different actually allows you to stand out and be more. More appreciated and noticeable.
1: They do say that having women at sea, the, the bridge team, is, we bring a different perspective on the bridge team, I've been told. I don't know how because it's always been me, so it's no different. Yeah. But they do say that um, not softness, but women have a different uh, mentality to doing things and they, they approach things differently to get the same result. Right. I mean, I always, women are not as physically strong as a man. Um, I would then work out different ways to do things to get the same result. I mean, opening a, a valve on a ship, which can be quite difficult, you go with a wheel key, which gives you an extra leverage, leverage to be able to open it. So you, you come up with different ideas to get the same result. And it's having the ability to be able to work out what you can do to be able to get the same result. Yes.
0: Yes, that makes sense. So, and Shell, so just to go back for a second, were you dealing with those enormous
1: oil tankers? Uh, Yes, I was on one that was a quarter mile long, 270,000 tons was the biggest, but the smaller ones were better because you got into nice ports, you got to sea places. So although you were away at sea for four, five, six, seven months, you do make the time to go ashore, however you've got to fit that in your Working time because you'd have work four hours on, eight hours off, night and day. Yes. So you'd often have to do that stuff called sleep because cargo work would happen in port. Right. And then you'd get ashore when you could and then come back and work again. So,
0: so you have to be enormously um, resilient yourself to be able to deal with those sorts of things and just get on with it, I'm guessing.
1: It is definitely a case of get on. Um, you work with the team you're with. and with each other. Um, Different nationalities also had a different response to women in different locations. I mean, I went to Saudi Arabia on the ship um, and the cargo super from ashore would come on to discuss the cargo work with the cargo team, which was me and cadet. They'd go and speak to the cadet because he was a a male. Who then look at them and say, I'm sorry, you're going to have to speak to the second mate, she's over there. And it didn't bother me, you know, they had to speak to me, but it was them that I had to work way round to negotiate with me rather than the other way round.
0: Yes. Yes. And it's cultural sensitivity is a particular issue, I guess, in, in those sort of situations because um, you need to, you need to be dealing on a level terms with people who. Um, reg- regard gender in a different sort of way. That's, that's, that's tricky, isn't
1: it? It is tricky, but as I say, it comes back to it didn't bother me. I would make sure I was covered up because you wear a boiler suit anyway. So you would, the ship's safety uh, particulars required you to dress in a certain way. So you, you dress it, be you do the next button up on the boiler suit to, yeah. to make them feel happier.
0: Yeah. Interesting. And so, um, are, the, are the tankers the biggest ships you've piloted or, 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 worked, along, or worked in? Or are the grey ships even more difficult or more complicated?
1: We do get some very big warships coming in, uh, but they're more um, RFAs, the Royal Fleet auxiliary ships. Right. They do have a few large ones, but we've got a major one coming in sometime this year, as in the new Queen Elizabeth. So at the moment there's a lot of dredging work going on within Portsmouth Harbour.
0: Right.
1: At the moment we're working on a lot of smaller ships in in regard to the dredgers, but the rest of the naval moves are still going on. Okay. One thing I'll say about the uh, piloting: although we bring a lot of ships in and out with pilots, we move a lot of ships around Portsmouth Harbour, uh, what we call cold moves. I've got no engines working, and then, as the pilot on board, we'll put tugs alongside in particular locations and I do have the con of the vessel then, I, so I've got to move it from A to B yeah. in the most efficient and safe manner and put it on a different berth somewhere. Well, uh, to yeah. be honest, those are more, more fun than sometimes and working with the bridge team because the responsibility in everything that happens to that vessel is my choice.
0: Yes. And I'm guessing it's all of your professional training coming coming to bear in one point
1: as well. It is, and that's when it can get complicated because you can only have as many as four tugs in use at any one time, and always having to remember which tug is where as to which instruction you want to give to that particular tug to make sure the vessel goes where you want it, how you want it to go. Mm. So, do you
0: do you get anxious before those sorts of things, or is it just does your training take over? How, how how do you deal with that?
1: level of complexity? It comes down to the training. We've done it so often that the moves, are, the way you put the tugs in are fairly similar or altered slightly. Um, the thing that makes it slightly more interesting is the strength of the wind.
0: Right.
1: But you know you've got the ability in the tugs and my training is such that it's just another move. Some of them are more exciting than others. And you have to be ready for the unexpected, but the training kicks in, and it you just work your way around it as necessary.
0: And you and you mentioned earlier this idea about when you're in control. This and that's a very important point, isn't it? About you manage that you control those things you can control, and those other things. I suppose you have to be ready for, but you the things that you can't do anything about, you put to one side. I'm guessing.
1: Uh, yeah, Well, there's always something you can do about it, um, as I say, moving a ship when you've got minimal space to put it into a lock or a dock, you've got to be aware of what's going to happen. You read the situation all around you, so I look at, for me, I'm mean, going to look at the, the water and I can see a squall coming through because the water looks slightly different, or I look at the sky, I, you can see the rain coming through which might imply there's going to be a gust of wind coming through, so it's reading the whole situation and making sure you're ready for the situation when it happens. Yeah. Interesting. And
0: um, I know you had something to do with um, the USS George W. Bush at one stage.
1: Yes, that came in a few years back. And we, we we anchored it in the Solent. Had, obviously, better views than most people that came to see it at Stokes Bay. Um, but that was... Uh, that was a large ship. it kept bringing yes, it, but it made it, which is always good. Yeah, and going out uh, boarding it. Uh, we didn't climb up a pilot ladder on that one. We actually got uh, picked up and dropped on the ship in a Black Hawk helicopter. Oh wow! Which uh, was was
0: interesting. It was yeah. good fun to do. Yeah, I mean, because I think um, the challenge with that something like that is is the um, is the political sensitivity of <laughs> getting that one wrong. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, it's um, as I say, fortunately it came in, uh, there was an incident, well it wasn't an incident, there was a, it was very, quite rough when she was in, yeah. and um, there was a, a, an upturned yacht in the harbor, because it, not only I big vampires, piloting oh. at that stage, we were also the BTS operators as well, and the BTS operator is like air traffic control for the area, so ships that come in and out of the port, have got to get um, authority to do it. They just can't. They can't just turn up when they feel like it. So they get clearance from the harbour. But they also uh, Portsmouth also monitor uh, fifty square, fifty four square miles of the Solent. And uh, there was a yacht that uh, a duck turned, and that was drifting towards the aircraft carrier, which we then had to get tugs out to sort it out so it didn't go into the aircraft carrier. It was all resolved, and everything was fine, but it's the, the ability to work out how you're going to do things to prevent any incident happening, because the Americans can be very twitchy with regard to things coming too close to them.
0: Yes, I guess they don't want the pin scratched either, without being trivial about it. So, And it's more of a PR problem, that, I'm guessing, than, than anything else, but um, it's good to, good to have avoided that. Um, because I mean, they are huge. Those aircraft carriers, aren't they? I mean, how, what, what's the size? Of, what, I mean, how how big is one? I, I, I don't have any sense of scale. I know about the size of cruise ships because I'm so much shallow in that area. But um, how would that? How would the George W. Bush compare to that? Uh, the largest cruise ships about two hundred and forty thousand tons. Uh,
1: weight-wise, they're not quite as heavy because they don't need the weight. It's the physical length. I did have all the facts and figures before. Um it's too big to fit into Portsmouth Harbour or was then because of the bend. But it's um to be honest, it's football pitches long, but I don't know how many.
0: Really? Oh, fantastic. Um there's a there's a sort of a boys own annual coming out, I think, for me to have a look at this when when we finish our conversation here today. I'm de- desperate to have a look at it. Um so tell me about the um Uh, the Victoria Drummond Award because I gather um, that's very prestigious and tell me me how that came about.
1: Um, The Victoria Drummond is awarded once every four years to a woman who's uh, promoted women at sea. Um, Victoria Drummond was an engineer, the first female engineer to ever go to sea. She had a very tough time and as a result of her dedication and perseverance, she was the one who opened up the world for everybody else. go to see, as in women, and right. uh, I got awarded the award a few years mm-hmm. ago, my husband actually nominated me um, secretly, oh, really, I didn't know anything about it until I got a um, letter in the post saying congratulations, you've won the Victoria Drummond Award this year, which uh, I ended up going to Antwerp to collect it during the, the conference over there, Yeah. and I'm very proud I was as well.
0: Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. So, congratulations on that first of all. So I think that's an amazing achievement. Um, so, you're still at work at the moment. You're still working in the in the in the, the Admiralty. What, what what are future plans for you? Do you think
1: uh, we're still very busy? As I say, we're dredging, ready for the Queen Elizabeth that's coming in sometime this year. Don't ask me when. Um, so the harbour the harbour's been deepened and the channel's been widened to enable that to happen. However, the rest of the Navy is still requiring moving, so we've got lots of ships coming in and out still. Uh, another feather to my bow is I'm also compass adjuster, for the Royal Navy, which means I go on ships, uh, we turn the ship through 360 degrees, and using magnets we correct this ship's magnetic compass, um, so they've got a, a reliable compass to use. Wow, so you turn the ship through 360 degrees, how, how do you do that? We used to do it tied up to a buoy in Portsmouth Harbour, but that's been removed. So we go out to see clear water, yeah. and um, as I say, just turn it slowly through sixty three sixty degrees. The ship are doing that, and we get to hold on certain courses to correct what error there is in the compass using magnets underneath the compass.
0: Oh, that's pretty impressive, actually. Because I mean, you imagine if the compass is wrong, that's a that's a problem for most ships. Uh, and I imagine there's a lot more computer-aided navigation these days. but um,
1: You I still have to be able to go back to basics because yeah. you've got gyro compasses on board which are very accurate but they can go wrong and if they do go wrong then it comes back to the old magnetic compass to make sure you can get there and the old, um, not quite bits of string, but the sextant uh, that comes out and from that you can still calculate your ship's position.
0: Actually, it's incredibly encouraging to know that ships still can resort to almost uh, manual skills in case of any, any of these sort of sophisticated systems going wrong. That's I'm quite encouraged, really.
1: Well, we, as a pilot, most of our piloting is done without using this magic um, electronic equipment they do. Right. We look out the window. There's a lot of information that can be taken from visual, visual looking out rather than basing everything on your... Electronic equipment.
0: So you really do learn to read the the, the sort of tides and winds and and the, and the conditions, and that's that's just built up over you know years and years and years, I guess. So can you imagine moving away from this job, or, or, or does your ambition take you to different places or different roles?
1: No, I love my job so much at the moment. I can't see myself changing. It's it's good fun. The people you work with. Can be interesting at times, but they are. It's a lovely environment to work in. It's a friendly environment to work in because everybody's got the same aim like the same aim for the days you know, to get the ship either safely on or off the berth. And I guess every single day is different. No two days. You might think you're doing this, moving the same ship consecutive days, but the wind and the tide just changes it completely. Other ships moving in the port can alter it. What's happening, and it's no two uh, berthings of ships are ever the same. Yeah,
0: and at the end of it, it's a bit like it's as one of those be very satisfying jobs because you look at it and say I did that. So you really there's a tangible outcome to to your job every single day.
1: And my children have lost the uh, excitement about that. I've sort of wandered down to Portsmouth Harbour and said, oh, taking that ship out tomorrow or something just because we happen to be there. Yeah. And they'll go, oh, that's, yeah, we've done that before, Mum. We don't really need to know that.
0: <laughs> that's kids for you.
1: Yeah, they're just getting a bit glassy about it. Although they all actually come and don't spend a day at work with me. And although none of them want to go to see, they've been quite impressed, I think, or I'd like to think, of what I we do or what I do when I'm actually at work.
0: Yes. I'm sure they're they are your biggest fans, but they're, they're probably never going to let let you know Certainly, in the short term.
1: Especially yesterday, obviously with Mother's Day.
0: Oh, oh! I'm sure you had a marvelous time yesterday. You were very, very well looked after and spoiled. <laughs> so, um, if you had, if someone was thinking of going to sea and working in this arena, what what advice would you give? What what, what encouragement would you, su- would you suggest?
1: Uh, it's you, you. You can't just decide on a whim that you need to go to see. You've got. You start with an apprenticeship, and you have to apply to one of the shipping companies that's taking on an apprenticeship and you end up um, applying to them and going, going, if you can speak to anybody, there's lots of courses that, um, done at the local colleges to say, come and see what um, a career at sea is like and you can talk to the shipping companies there. But look into it. It's, I don't regret what I've done at all. I've loved my time at sea and the way it's progressed in my life because I've, I've brought three children up as well, yeah. and stayed at sea throughout that time. So we, you know, I've managed to have a family life and a work life.
0: And so any specific, I mean, your ability to be a trailblazer is amazing. So have you any messages for women who are thinking about a career like yours, whether at sea or or any other form of adversity? What would you say to them?
1: Uh, Go for it, it really the fact that your email has got nothing to do with it if you are dedicated to the job that you want to do, you'll overcome any difficulties that people might throw at you because you can Rachel, that has been fantastic
0: i I, I actually sit and chat to you for hours and I'm sorry that we haven't got hours to chat and uh, perhaps you and I'll have another conversation later on because so, uh, my my um my quest for data in terms of ship size and things is as um as uh, still to be fulfilled but it's been really interesting to talk to you a f- fascinating world that you've introduced us to and uh thank you so much you've been a real inspiration
1: well thank you very much for taking the time to talk
0: to me i've loved it and congratulations on the award and uh all the best for the future you take care
1: thanks very much Tim. Bye, thanks. Now. bye
0: thanks for listening today i hope you found some value um, there are lots of other podcasts in this series, lots of different speakers, tools and techniques and subjects, so please subscribe and see what else might be helpful for you. Um, it would be smashing if you could pop across to iTunes and drop us a review. As I said earlier, we've got tons of information on our sites, lots of free goodies, ebooks, webinars and such like, uh, as well as some uh, online courses and specific coaching, sometimes from some of the speakers you've heard on these podcasts. So hope to uh, have your company again on the next edition of Resilience
1: Unraveled. Bye now.